Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, June 6, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, all the headlines from WWDC, all the new OSs, a new MacBook Air, a new M2 chip, but I'll save you the speculation, nothing on the AR or VR front. More bored apes are stolen, more posturing from Elon Musk that he might walk away from the Twitter deal. And is Netflix about to get into live sports? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. The WWDC keynote was earlier today, and for the first time since the pandemic, there was an audience, a meaningful one, full of outsiders and journalists, though notably the keynote was still a video and the audience was outside watching it all on big screens. There was no personal stage appearance made by anyone at Apple. First up for the announcements was iOS 16, of course which features an all-new lock screen as the big headline. They call it the biggest update to the lock screen ever. There are lock screen skinning features, including font selection. There are areas for customization, sort of like the complications on the Apple Watch. You can add widgets. There's intelligent photo curation from your library and photo shuffle. There's a new wallpaper gallery. Again, I feel like they took a bunch of stuff from what they learned from the Apple Watch and put it on the lock screen of the iPhone. There's glanceable information from various apps available to insert. Notifications also now roll in in a sort of Lazy Susan style, so your notifications don't take over the screen. There's even a new notification style called Live Activities for live events like sports, Uber status, or what is playing on your music app, etc., Apple beat Elon to the punch because messages got an edit button. You can edit messages after you've sent them. And there's also undo send to retract mistaken messages or, you know, grammatical errors and such. And a mark threads unread feature. Live text is getting smarter. You can now grab and hold the subject of an image from your photos, like hover over it with your finger, lift it out of that image, and then drag it over to messages or other apps. Basically, it's a whole Photoshop job in just one touch. Dictation got a big shout out, which is interesting because of the AR VR rumors, just like live text would also play well in an AR setting. The new dictation experience lets you easily and fluidly move between using voice and touch, all the movie and translation live text updates, I would say are strategically meant to train people to start to use and expect these features in an upcoming, I don't know, AR headset. That's kind of obvious to me. Shout out to driver's licenses and other ID things in the wallet app. Wallet will now auth your identity to other apps as well. And you can even give keys that you might have in your wallet to other people. So say you can let someone have your hotel room key. Apple Pay Later is coming to Apple Pay. It's their version of Buy Now, Pay Later, with zero interest and no fees for basically anything you want as long as you buy it with Apple Pay. It requires no integration for merchants beyond just, you know, using Apple Pay. Basically, now you'll be able to pay for something with Apple Pay and divide it into four payments interest-free. Apple will handle the finance end of it. Maps got some improvements, which I kind of didn't follow, but again, if you want to beef up maps for something that would later lean heavily into AR, this is sort of laying the groundwork for that sort of thing. 
stuff like multi-stop routing and the ability to save routing for reuse later. There's an all-new My Sports section coming to Apple News. You can pick your teams and leagues, and then they'll curate stories for you, sort of like how the Athletic app does it. There are new parental controls for sharing, new device setup for kids, for photos. Say hello to iCloud Shared Photo Library, a new kind of iCloud library that up to six people can participate in. You can even set up the camera to send photos to a shared library from within the camera app right away. You can even enable that sharing switch to automatically turn on when you're near other people in the shared library that you're using. So, for example, pictures people take on trips together would all be shared automatically. There was a bunch of home app stuff, but it didn't seem earth-shattering, just sort of a fresh coat of paint, though they did talk up their adoption of the Matter Smart Home standard. The new version of CarPlay basically can take over the entire dashboard on your car with new widgets, and you can control everything, even climate control. You can skin and customize the instrumentation with radio controls, speedometer, even widgets. I gotta say, it all looks pretty good, but you gotta hope that your car's manufacturer gets on board with this and actually supports it. Like, I'm gonna bet right now that Elon Musk will never let CarPlay take over a Tesla interface. Then it was on to Apple Watch, new watch faces, of course, new rich complications, new workouts and metrics in the workout app. Heart rate zones will give you a sense of your intensity level when you're exercising at any time. Intervals in time or distance for things like running have been added, which basically obviates my need for my RunKeeper app right there. Also, it tracks targeted heart rate zones while you're working out. The fitness app has finally come to all iPhone users, so you can use it on an iPhone even without an Apple Watch. It will make use of the iPhone's motion sensors. And then another app just got made redundant for me, which is whatever the sleep app is that I've been using, since there is now a sleep stage mode in Apple's sleep app on the watch, which will track REM, core, and deep sleep stages. Then medications. WatchOS 9 gets a medications app, which lets you log when you take medications and get notifications for when you might need to take them. You can even scan your medication labels with the iPhone camera to identify them and then get alerts if you, you know, have set yourself up for a bad drug interaction. Then it was on to the Mac. Guess what? Johnny Shruji introed the M2 chip, the new chip line for Apple Silicon. The M2 is 5 nanometers with 20 billion transistors, 20% more than the M1, 100 GBPS memory bandwidth, up to 24 gigabytes of unified memory, 18% greater performance than the M1, Johnny claimed, 1.9x faster performance than the latest 10-core PC laptop chip, he said. Hey, it's even physically slightly bigger. The M2 chip has 25% more GPU performance than the M1 at the same power level, 35% more at the max power level. There's a new neural engine and secure enclave, new media engine that supports 8K video. Systems with the M2 will play back multiple streams of 8K and 4K video. And so the first Mac to get this M2 chip, the new MacBook Air. As rumored, this bad boy has a more squared-off design less of that doorstopper wedge shape that we've seen on the MacBook Air for years. It's got MagSafe charging back. It looks impossibly thin, 11 millimeters thin, 2.7 pounds in weight. It's got 
two Thunderbolt ports on one side. It has an actual headphone jack on the other side. It comes in colors, to quote the Rolling Stones song from that old Apple ad. Silver, Space Gray, Starlight, and Midnight. It has a liquid retina display with a camera notch. The display is 13.6 inches, so it's slightly bigger thanks to thinner bezels. It also has 500 nits of brightness and 1 billion colors. It only has a 1080p camera, but more on that in a second. Dare I say it, the new MacBook Air looks like an iPad Air sandwich. The new MacBook Air has no fan, but it still has the same 18-hour video playback battery life, Apple says. And get this, the new power adapter that comes with it has two USB-C ports in the little power brick itself and supports fast charging to get to 80% of battery life in just 20 minutes. By the way, the M2 chip is also coming to the 13-inch MacBook Pro, which does not get a new design, and in fact, it looked like it still had a touch bar. Did I get that wrong? Did anyone catch that? Anyway, the new MacBook Air starts at $1,199. The MacBook Pro with this new M2 chip starts at $1,399, and the old MacBook Air is sticking around with the M1 chip at $999, which I believe is what it was at before. Then it was on to Mac OS. We were wrong about it being called Mammoth, by the way. It is being called macOS Ventura. There's a new way to keep Windows automatically organized. There's something called Stage Manager. It's like a single window mode for apps. You can group windows and arrange them and switch between groups. You click on the desktop to make all the windows slide off so you can get files off the desktop easier. Mail got a bunch of features like reminders, undo send, and scheduled send, and all that is actually also coming to mail in iOS and iPadOS as well. In Apple's attempt to jump on the passwordless bandwagon, passkeys will now use biometrics built into your Mac. It's basically Apple's name for their Fido Alliance stuff. And in an effort to make Macs more amenable to gamers, given the new Apple Silicon, there's a new Metal 3 with metal effects upscaling that lets you run games and stuff at higher frame rates by rendering lower res frames and upscaling them. They demoed Resident Evil Village and No Man's Sky to show this off, both of which are coming to Max. But given that the rest of the gaming industry is moving towards streaming and playing on any screen with no fancy hardware required, no powerful hardware required, has Apple finally jumped on the gaming bandwagon right as it's moving away from a need for powerful silicon in the first place? What else? You can now hand off FaceTime calls from an iPhone to a Mac and vice versa. You can use the iPhone as a webcam using continuity. Center stage and portrait mode support comes with this, so... You know, is this Apple's excuse for not giving Macs decent cameras, as I hinted at before? But it is kind of impressive. The ultra-wide camera on the iPhone can even do a top-down view of the desk while one of the other cameras still is looking at you, so you can see the person talking and, you know, whatever they're working on on their keyboard or on their desk simultaneously, which would make Jeffrey Tubin-type shenanigans easier, I guess. They're apparently working with Belkin to manufacture some mounts to make these easy to put on your Macs, which I gotta say, again, the demo for using Desk View was pretty wild. It does kind of make a much better webcam experience possible, but as at Stammy on Twitter joked, ship better webcams? Nah. Tape iPhone to laptop? Yeah. Then it was iPad OS's turn. Weather is coming to the iPad, which I never noticed didn't have it. Or is this just weather kit? No, actually, Twitter tells me 
After 12 years without one, the iPad now has a weather app. Huh. They demoed a new app coming later this year called Freeform. It's basically a whiteboarding app. So look out Figma. It looks like the Notes app, but with FaceTime integration and other collaboration features as well. It's coming not just to the iPad, but also the iPhone and the Mac. I don't know. There was also a lot of stuff about gaming on the iPad, making desktop class apps available for the iPad via SDKs and collaboration and stuff, but I kind of didn't really get moved by any of that. Hit the links in the show notes if iPadOS is your jam. Stage Manager window management is also coming to the iPad as well, I should say. So for the first time, you can now resize windows and use overlapping windows on the iPad. Another thing that Apple seemingly reinvented that's been around forever. And then Tim Cook was back to wrap things up. So no mention of tvOS, and more importantly, no mention of anything AR or VR, even any kind of heads up for some sort of AROS that devs could begin developing for. But hey, you know, when Apple does really big new product lines, they usually do standalone events, right? Didn't the Apple Watch have a standalone event? Anywho, all the OSs get developer betas today, public betas in July, available to the public at an unnamed fall date. And that's it into editing and recording all this. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants. The right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at cutsclothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. 
CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. There was other news, as I always say, but frankly, you might find it familiar, so you might not think this is new news. Over the weekend, Yuga Labs confirmed that Bored Ape Yacht Club's Discord server was hacked with 200 ETH worth of NFTs stolen, the third time a bad actor has impersonated a Yuga Labs run account on Discord and has thus stolen funds in, I don't know, what day is it? Quoting Coindesk. The hack took place after the project's community manager, Boris Wagner, had his Discord account compromised, which the attacker then used to post phishing links in both the official Board Apes Yacht Club and its related metaverse project called Other Side's Discord Channels. News of the hack was first reported by Twitter user NFT Herder, who also estimates that 145 ETH, or around $260,000, was stolen along with the NFTs, tracing the stolen funds back to four separate wallets. Yuga Labs later confirmed the exploit occurred in a tweet of its own, saying it is still actively investigating the incident. It did so 11 hours after NFT Herder's tweet. Wagner is also the manager of his brother, the Grammy-winning multi-instrumentalist Richard Wagner, who co-founded an NFT fantasy football club called Spoiled Banana Society with Boris. The attacker also posted a phishing link in the SPS Discord channel, though the message was subsequently deleted, Richard said. Hey, at everyone, we were hacked an hour ago. Hopefully no one clicked on any links, Richard Wagner said in a Discord message at 9UTC. We've got back control of the Discord and Boris's account. Thank God he didn't delete the whole server, end quote. It is unclear if anyone in the SBS channel was affected, though Richard has requested information from the Discord members related to the attack. We'll be getting all the tabs back up in the following days and let us know if there's anything else he messed with, he said. The Wagners also run a record label called Metaverse Records. In the same SBS Discord message, Richard independently confirmed that the Bored Apes Yacht Club and other side discords were also hacked, end quote. And in an SEC filing... Elon Musk accused Twitter of, quote, resisting and thwarting his right to information about bots on the platform, calling it a, quote, clear material breach of his proposed deal. So, yeah, quoting CNBC, Mr. Musk reserves all rights resulting therefrom, including his right not to consummate the transaction and his right to terminate the merger agreement, the letter signed by Skadden attorney Mike Ringler says. Twitter's shares were down 5% Monday morning. Musk wrote on Twitter last month that his $44 billion purchase of the company would not move forward until he had more information about the number of fake accounts on the service. Some analysts interpreted the move as a negotiation tactic for a lower price. He said his team would do a random sampling to calculate the number of fake accounts, but Twitter's CEO later explained that non-public information would be necessary to get an accurate count. Twitter executives told staff there's, quote, no such thing as putting the deal on hold as Musk claimed, according to a report in Bloomberg. In Monday's letter, Musk's lawyer wrote that the merger agreement requires Twitter to provide the data Musk requested and disputed the company's alleged claim that it is only required to provide information for the limited purpose of helping to close the transaction. To the contrary, Mr. Musk is entitled to seek and Twitter is obligated to provide information and data for, inter alia, any reasonable business purpose related to the consummation of the transaction. 
At this point, Mr. Musk believes Twitter is transparently refusing to comply with its obligations under the merger agreement, which is causing further suspicion that the company is withholding the requested data due to concern for what Mr. Musk's own analysis of the data will uncover. It continues, according to the letter, Musk would agree to ensure anyone reviewing the data would be bound by a non-disclosure agreement and he would not use any, quote, competitively sensitive information if the deal doesn't close. Twitter did not immediately respond to a request for comment, end quote. So again, Elon Musk publicly said he wanted to buy Twitter in part to eliminate or at least ameliorate the bot problem, and now he has in a formal quasi-legal way said he was shocked, shocked to discover gambling was going on in this establishment, to paraphrase the movie Casablanca. Meanwhile, remember this, quoting Charles Fishman on Twitter, quote, Musk specifically waived the right to further due diligence on Twitter in order to move the Twitter purchase fast. Two weeks ago, Twitter spent days showing Musk from the inside how they discover and disable bots. Today's musking is pure bluster. Musk will never buy Twitter, end quote. And finally today, Insider is reporting that Netflix is in talks with Formula One to purchase the rights to that sport in the U.S. ESPN, NBC Universal, and Amazon are also interested in acquiring broadcast and streaming rights. But this is notable because, again, live sports is something Netflix said for years it never wanted or needed to do. But at the same time, if any sports angle for Netflix would make sense, it would be this one, since it was that whole Drive to Survive series on Netflix that has basically single-handedly raised the profile of Formula One here in the United States. Quoting Insider, Netflix has been holding talks for months, the sources told Insider, along with Disney-owned ESPN, which has held U.S. Formula One rights since 2017. One person told Insider that Comcast NBC Universal, which held the rights for the previous five years, is in the mix, as previously reported by Sports Business Journal. That person and a fourth source said Amazon is also a bidder. ESPN submitted an opening bid in the region of $70 million, one of the people said, noting that the figure is well below the $100 million that Formula One is now targeting. One of the sources said Netflix talks have grown more serious, but added that the pitch is tricky given that the company doesn't have an in-house sports negotiator. The Los Gatos-based streamer played a role in stoking Americans' interest in the team-based auto racing events, Grand Prix, that rollout in swank locations such as Monaco and Montreal, thanks to its long-running documentary series Drive to Survive made by Box to Box Films. ESPN confirmed its talks in a statement from John Suchensky, Director, Programming and Acquisitions. We are aggressively pursuing a renewal. We feel that we have a distribution package and event presentation that can't be matched in the industry, and the viewership and exposure growth they have received since returning to ESPN platforms in 2018 is reflective of what we can do for them he said. It's been a mutually beneficial relationship, end quote. Based on the success of Drive to Survive, it would seem obvious that Netflix would be an interested participant and that Formula One would feel similarly, said Sean Bratches, the former managing director of commercial operations at Formula One, who was previously ESPN's executive vice president sales and marketing, end quote. Nothing for you today, because I got to quickly start editing away. Talk to you tomorrow.